How's it going, everybody? This is Chris. Welcome to episode 81 of Exalapsed. Uh, today, we're going right back into our coverage of the Hellions book. It's been a little while, it feels like. Uh, maybe because I was looking forward to this one so much, it felt like it took forever to get here. So without any further ado, um, this is probably not going to be a terribly long discussion, because despite the fact that uh, I quite enjoy this one, it's another one of those where there just isn't a whole lot to say about it. So let's get into it here. Hellions number two. Had a September 2020 cover date. The story's called Bloodwork, written by Zeb Wells with art by Stephen Segovia. Colors, David Curiel. Blood is VC's Corey Petit. Designs, Tom Muller, head of X's Hickman. Edits, Bisa White Sabolski. Cover price, $3.99, and went on sale July 22nd, 2020. Now we open with one of those Hox Pox quote pages, you know, where we are mostly looking at a plain white page with a little quote in there. Uh, yeah, still feels like a waste to me. Uh, this is Nightcrawler talking about violence, and, uh, I think I've probably already spent more time, you know, trying to think of things to say about it than they actually did writing and printing the thing, so let's move on to our roll call. Our characters are Havoc, the Orphan Maker, Nanny, Wild Child, Empath, Grey Crow, Psylocke, and Madeline Pryor. So we open, and we're in Omaha, Nebraska. We're at the State Home for Foundlings, a.k.a. You know, Mr. Sinister's House of Horrors, a.k.a. that orphanage where Scott and Alex grew up, a.k.a. Mr. Sinister's Marauder Hatchery. You know, that place. So we've got a handful of Nebraska's finest here in order to oversee the hellion demolition of the joint. And, uh, doesn't seem like they're the most mutant-friendly bunch. Now, Psylocke leads the team up to the house and chats up an officer to inform them that, uh, hey, you know what, you're not needed here. The officer in charge gets all, you're in my county, with her, which, uh, yeah, I suppose it stands to reason that an officer might say that. Anyway, before he can actually make his point, Wildchild nearly gets into it with a canine unit. When the officer manages to noink his police dog back, Wildchild just, uh, well, he just decides to swipe at the officer himself. Right for the jugular, in fact. Uh, he misses, thankfully. Grey Crow puts Wildchild's face in the dirt long enough for the canine unit to back off. This guy wasn't scared, though. This officer, he was not scared because, get this, he knows that the mutants have this kill-no-man law, so he knew he was never in any real danger, which is, you know, pretty cute, and also, uh, you know, an indication that he's never at X-Force, so there's that. Whatever the case, the Omaha PD decides it might just be best if they left the Hellions along to do the thing, and so they jam out. From here, double-page spread of credits, then back to comics, and we're inside the orphanage, and, uh, well, it's a pretty horrifying sight. It's not like we're seeing, like, torture devices or anything, at least, you know, that we can see, but it certainly looks like a rotten place to grow up. Really, really gross. 
Suddenly, Nanny finds herself overwhelmed by the need to, well, Nanny, one of her teammates. And it ain't the orphan maker, either. Instead, she runs up to Grey Crow and proceeds to, I guess for a lack of a better term, hump his leg. Uh, she's apparently attempting to nurse him, which uh, I don't know how that works that way. Now, this is something that Grey Crow is not in the mood for. Psylocke turns to Empath and tells him to knock it off, meaning that, you know, Empath was just being a tremendous a-hole again, using his powers. Now, remember what Grey Crow said last issue about what he would do if Empath did any of his hoodoo. He said he would take him out if he caught even a whiff of it. Well, never let it be said that old Scalp Hunter isn't a man of his word, because in the very next panel, he blows poor Manuel's brains out. Well, there's our first death. Now, Havoc sees this all go down and suggests that, uh, you know what, maybe I'm not a perfect fit for this team, or even a good fit. Psylocke reminds him that the Quiet Council thinks that he is, and we all know how infallible the Quiet Friggin' Council is, right? Anyway, Alex gathers his wits, and they make their way into the next room, which is the Hatchery, a.k.a. Sinister's Clone Farm. Worth noting that these pods even look a little bit like the Gold Balls on Krakoa, only... You know, less organic. Off to the side, Nanny attempts to apologize to Grey Crow, which goes about as well as you might imagine. To be fair, John's pretty busy planting explosives at the moment, so there's that. Suddenly, the team hears some weird clicking or something. It's, it's a weird noise, is all I can actually tell you. Uh, they turn around and see the original Marauders all strung up by their ankles, just like we saw them at the end of the last issue. Then, more weird clicking, and then the bodies hit the floor. Before we know it, we've got a standoff between the zombified legacy marauders and the Hellions. Takes us to an info page, and it's a little information regarding these legacy marauders. It's mostly a way of dropping their names in here, so we know who we're looking at during our upcoming fight scene. And so our legacy marauders roll call is Arclight, Riptide, Harpoon, Blockbuster, Prism, and Scrambler. Back to comics, and Scalp Hunter approaches his former teammates to ask just what in the world happened to them. They then point over to their queen, and naturally they mean the Goblin Queen, Madeline Pryor. We get a page-length shot of her, which, uh, it looks like she's either trying to suck in her gut or really, really needs to go to the bathroom. Whatever the case, it's not a pleasant-looking pose. Now, Alex is shocked to see her and asks when she came back. Maddie replies that, hey, she'd been back a while, it's just that nobody really cared. From here, it's a fight scene. It's a long fight scene, but it's a fairly entertaining one at that. Notably, Nanny gets knocked over, like, right at the get-go, and spends the entire battle trying to stand herself back up. And it's actually quite a funny page. She's laying face down, so she can't even see what's going on. You really gotta see it. it it's good. It's funny. Uh, Maddie shatters her own man, Prism, which sends shards of his glassy, crystalline body all over the place, including into her very own flesh. She then sets her sights on Alex, who, like a moth to a flame, heads right on over. He goes to speak, but before he can, Maddie erases his mouth. It's pretty horrifying, but also pretty great. Now, the fight, it looks pretty evenly matched, until Arclight can trick Grey Crow into letting down his guard. The Hellions are pretty much, you know, pretty much out of moves at this point. The only members left standing, or not under the Goblin Queen's spell, are Psylocke and Wildchild. And wouldn't you know it, Wildchild picks now to go one-on-one -on -one with Quinan. 
We close out with Kyle reaching out for his second jugular in the very same issue, which is basically the scene that we see playing out on the admittedly kind of lazy cover of this issue. And that's where we leave it. Next episode, we kick off our four-part coverage of Empire X-Men. And I'm kind of nervous about it because I have absolutely zero, zero idea what Empire's all about. I, I have my fingers crossed here. I hope it's not space stuff. Please, please, please don't be space stuff. Which means it's probably going to be space stuff. Uh, okay, if it's space stuff, then please, can it not be heroes versus heroes? Please, please. Please. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, fingers crossed I have absolutely no uh, knowledge of what Empire is or was. So this will be new, this will be interesting, and uh, it might be infuriating. So we'll cover that next time. But now let's talk about what we learned reading Hellions number 2. Right up front, I had fun with this one. Um, it felt very much like an issue number 2, but in a good way, if that makes any sense. <laughs> Sometimes I'll say it feels like an issue of issue something, and it's usually a uh, you know damning with faint praise or an indictment. But uh, no, this is in the good way. I think this works as a second issue. Though, stop me if you've heard this one. I like this one a lot, but there really isn't all that much to say about it. What we get here is a mission and a fight scene. It's all very well done and mostly well drawn outside of that weird you know Maddie, Maddie spread. But at the end of the day, it's all it was. Now, we've talked a bit about uh, the attempts at humor in these Hox, Pox, Doc, Socks books and how it doesn't always hit the mark. It, like, rarely hits the mark. I mean, we can go back to the, to the cursing old ladies. We can go back to a two-issue arc that ends with Brew eating an egg. Very recently, we talked about Magneto getting drunk doesn't always land. Here, though, I gotta say I'm loving pretty much everything having to do with Nanny. Uh, it's something that I'm actually laughing at when I'm seeing it, but I, I feel kind of like silly for laughing at it. I feel I, I kind of hate myself for laughing at it, but it really tickles me, so <laughs> what can I say? Uh, I mean, last issue, we had Sassy Sinister freaking out seeing her, like just these weird lips on, a, on an eggshell. To this issue scene where she's struggling to stand up, it's, it's just funny stuff, which is a really fun juxtaposition with the darker elements of this book. I mean, we've got characters here reaching for jugulars, we had a guy getting his brains blown out, we've got zombies. It's, it's funny, it's nice to have these little funny bits mixed in, it really uh, adds to the overall reading experience here, it just makes it a whole lot more fun. And I remember when I, uh, when I started this, uh, when, I, when I saw the Hellions first cover... And I saw that Nanny was going to be on this book. I totally rolled my eyes. And I think I talked last time we, we covered Hellions about the Alvaro books. You know, the let's put together a patchwork wacky team. Just because, hey, patchwork wacky team, right? There's no step two. There's no step three. It's just let's put these weirdos together. And I and I and when I saw Nanny, I was like, oh, come on. But uh, loving it. Loving it. I'm happy to have been proven wrong. I'm, I'm loving Nanny here. I think uh, she adds a whole lot to this book. Uh, we do get a mutant death here. That's something. And I'm actually working on compiling a list of our post-Hoxpox mutant deaths. I figure maybe I can share those as part of our eventual 100th episode spectacular. Don't really have anything special planned for that. If anybody has any ideas for a way to make that one a little bit more special, send them along. Because I'm not, I'm not good at that kind of thing. 
the death here was Empath, and it was rather matter-of-fact, wasn't it? Uh, Scalp Hunter told him last issue that he wouldn't hesitate, right? And, well, true to his word, he did not. Uh, I would like to think that Grey Crow probably would have reacted this very same way, even if there were no resurrection protocols. So I can forgive the seeming gratuitousness of this scene, insofar as this one didn't seem as, I don't know, cheap as many of our other Doc's deaths, I will say that I hope this doesn't become a trend. I don't want to see people dying every issue. We get enough of that in other books, so... This one, though, I mean, considering it was Scalpunta, I don't think he cares about the resurrection protocols for the other folks, so I think he would have, you know, blown out poor Manuel's brains with or without them. Uh, Alex and Maddie, that seems like a fun thread to pull. Uh, It's been a long while since I recall seeing them together, though, you know, I might be missing an obvious recent story that featured them. I was thinking back when when I was making my notes for this episode here, trying to think the last time I saw Alex and Maddie together in, you know, the 616, and I really can't think of very many, um... And, and, I mean, I have to go outside the six, uh, 616 to think of one. I'm thinking of Mutant X from uh, the turn of the century. Other than that, I can't think of even a story during my comics collecting career, which started, you know, late 80s, early 90s, that featured the two of them together. I was I came in after Inferno. Um, again, unless I'm totally spacing an obvious example. Uh, whatever the case, though, I'm, I'm interested in seeing how this plays out. I think this could be a lot of fun. Overall... Still really enjoying the series. We are only two issues in, so, you know, cautious optimism, of course. And I'm looking forward to seeing how everything shakes out. Unfortunately, I've got a little bit of bad news, because it's going to be something like 14 or 15 episodes till we get back here. So, uh, hopefully, by that time, I'll still remember where we were, right? Uh, I, I guess I can always re-listen to the episode or reread the issue, I guess. But, uh, like I said, we do have the four-issue Empire arc coming up, and then we have... A whole bunch of other stuff before we get back to the Hellions. So hopefully this one tides us over till then. But that's basically all I got to say about Hellions number two. But before we leave, let's hop into the mailbag here. This one shouldn't take too long. We're going to start with Damien, who's talking about New Mutants number 10. Now he says, I really have very little to say about this issue. It's a fun little mystery story which increases the tension while showing some good character bits and Flaviano's art is amazing. The ending does imply that they will solve the problem with the power of love, which is slightly troubling. Overall, though not essential, it works. And this is a short message, but one that I wanted to share here because it highlights one of the struggles I've had with this program, especially of late. Sometimes, including today, there just isn't much to say about a given issue, right? And I mean, I've referred to this phenomenon as like the part four of six problem... It's really just a chapter in a wider arc, right? It doesn't offer a whole lot of meat to sink our collective tifuses into, right? Now, it's not like it's anybody's fault or anything. And honestly, it's probably a complaint that isn't even worth mentioning. It's kind of just the way comics are presented these days. But as for me and this program, I have this weird problem where I feel like, I don't know, like I'm shortchanging listeners, right? When I can't come up with something novel to say about an issue that doesn't really offer anything novel, I feel bad. You know what I mean? I mean, that might not make sense. Um, You know, maybe if some of our Dawn of X creative teams had that same 
horrible inborn Catholic guilt that I do, we wouldn't be getting so many, you know, meh issues. Then again, you know, these are chapters that'll work fine in collected format, which, again, is what Marvel cares about, right? I mean, the comics come and go, but the trade collections can be around forever, you know? they That's what they care about. These, you know, monthly or bi-weekly issues that we get are fairly disposable, you know? They're kind of a first draft in a lot of ways because they can make edits before they're collected. They can do whatever they want before they're collected. And uh, sometimes it shows. Um, I just feel like if you are all going to be so kind as to hit the play button on something that I recorded, that maybe I don't waste your time. <laughs> because uh, unfortunately, unlike the comics, I don't have any collected edition to work toward, unfortunately. So I only get one shot at most of these books. And a lot of them, especially lately... There isn't a heck of a lot to say about them. We are in a very weird and uh, somewhat nebulous period here in the Dawn of X books here where we do have the uh, the COVID hiatus, which got things all out of whack. Plus, we are burning off books to get to X of Tens. So maybe there's a little bit of a lame duck element to some of these books where we're just trying to get through stories to get to where we want to be. Unfortunately for idiots like me who dedicate several hours of their day to analyzing these books, it uh, sometimes feels like I come up short. And uh, if that is the case, I apologize. Now, as for Damien's mention of the power of love, I was racking my brain because we talked about this not too long ago, and it was in Major X. Because the last issue of Major X, which is to say issue number six, not issue number zero... It featured the Major using what I referred to as the Care Bear Stare to win the day, which is so dumb, but it's also so lazy, right? Such a lazy way to do it. It's, uh, yeah, because <laughs> you could basically do anything with that, right? Anything could have come before that, and it's like, oh, wait, no, 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 power of love, done. Uh, as as you know by now, the Carnelia arc doesn't doesn't even go as far as to present us with the power of love ending. It's actually much quicker than that. Uh, Wildside just touches Tashi, bingo bango, all's good in the hood, and we're done. And while I'm talking about that, that was another episode that I had trouble thinking about a whole lot to say. You know, uh, maybe one of these days I'll be okay with saying this was decent, but there ain't anything else to say about it, right? I, I, I do say that, but then I try to say things anyway. Maybe one of these days I'll, I'll get over myself there. But thank you so much for writing in, Damien. And uh, even though you didn't have much to say about the issue, you facilitated me uh, having quite the conversation with myself. So thanks very much. Uh, next, Joe Crawford wrote in to give us his rankings for the Dawn of X Book 4 books, which is, you know, the Dawn of X number 4s. He ranked them 1 to 6. The best book of the number 4s to him was Marauders. Then it was X-Men. Then it was X-Force, then it was New Mutants, followed by Excalibur, and, uh, well, of course, being rounded out by the anchor, Fallen Angels. He says, Covert missions, Bishop is the Bishop, and Gambit's a Druid. Logan is half the mutant he used to be. Magneto delivers the State of the Union while he steals the scene. Now, this caused me to go back to my notes for episode 36 of the show to find out where I ranked these books, because... I can't remember. <laughs> We've read so many books since then. But uh, I actually had uh, some reason I had Excalibur in my number two spot. That's 
bizarre, isn't it? <laughs> must have must have been really weird there. Um, yeah, he had uh, Excalibur in the number two spot, then X Men. Um, number one, of course, was Marauders. Four was New Mutants. Five was X Force, and six was Fallen Angels. That's interesting. I want to say that I was probably just unimpressed with a lot of them that time out because, uh, yeah, that's weird. Yeah, because New Mutants were still on the farm. X-Force was kind of grinding on me by that point. Fallen Angels sucked. Um, and this issue of X-Men with the summit or the, 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 the whatever it was, the summit where Magneto, Apocalypse, and um, Xavier were talking to other world powers... I didn't care for that one as much as a lot of people seem to. I can't really put my finger on why I didn't, but, uh, yeah, it wasn't, uh, really wasn't my cup of tea. I think it was just that the X-Men were being treated kind of villainy, and, uh, the actual villains of the book were kind of easy targets, because I believe it was, like, you know, the pompous American delegate or something like that was, like, the main bad guy focus of the issue, and it's like, eh, it seems kind of, kind of low effort, low-hanging. But yeah, it was a. I think that was one of those little doldrum phases, the uh, the book fours, and I mean, you know that I have that saying on this program that sometimes something feels like a part four of six. So maybe that's the reason why the number fours really didn't resonate with me quite as much as uh, they might have otherwise, you know. But uh, thank you for sharing your thoughts there, Joe. And I did get your uh, your list for the Dawn of X number five, so we will share those next episode. But I'm so happy that you're still following along And uh, you're really burning through the anthologies uh, From what I hear from Andrew and Belfast told me That we're actually ahead of the anthologies here on the show now So, I mean, there's some brand new stuff here For uh, for folks who are just following the anthologies We're actually past that Which is a weird place to be in Because I never thought we'd be ahead of anything on this show But uh, there you go But thanks again, Joe uh, We're going to wrap up with an email I got from our friend Jesse DeJong regarding a Generation X continuity list that he put together. And uh, several episodes we heard from him about a project that he'd undertaken. He was trying to create an all-inclusive continuity listing for Generation X along all continuities. So like Age of Apocalypse, uh, the Underground specials, the Gen 13 mixes, and all this sort of stuff. And I'd mentioned that I would have loved to seen it. And so he sent it over to me, and uh, damn... Damn, a lot of work went into this. It's really, really an amazing resource. Uh, Jesse managed to fit issues into the list that featured Generation X for, like, one panel. It reminds me of the way, like, the old Marvel uh, handbooks would be, and, and, and the earliest Marvel handbooks that were online, like the ones that the fans put together with the continuity listings and the order of appearances, back when you could still do that, before things went totally ape, you know? This feels a lot like that here, where we go from, like, an issue of Generation X to an issue where Generation X was featured in a panel. It's so cool. I mean, he even included a double-page spread from a Marvel swimsuit issue into the continuity, which is really, really cool. In this list, I found out that there exists a Generation X coloring book, which I never knew about. <laughs> and that's definitely something I need to track down. I'm actually going to go through the collection, my collection list and match them up with this continuity list to see if there's what I still need from it. Because up till now, I actually thought I owned everything Generation X. Uh, except for a few of the Marvel Eg Legacy Era strain issues, which I'm still waiting to find in the 50 cent bin because I can't bring myself to pay, you know, four or five bucks each for those. Those are 
So I know I'm probably never going to read those unless we do a Generation X lapsed program, which I've got so many damn programs I'm trying to put together now. I don't know that it'll happen anytime soon. But if anybody would like to see this list, hit me or Jesse up. Uh, he mentions that it's still a work in progress. Because every so often he does happen across an appearance that he didn't know of. So this is really, really awesome stuff here. I, I love seeing this stuff. So much work went into this and so much critical thought as to where these uh, these appearances lie. It's great. Great stuff. So thank you, Jesse, for sharing them with us here. And uh, also looking at this, I uh, realized that I'd only seen a few minutes of that Generation X made-for-TV movie or pilot or whatever the hell it was. Maybe sometime down the line, if I can figure out how to finagle it, because I'm clueless when it comes to this sort of stuff, maybe we can set up a Generation X lapsed movie night or something, you know, somewhere down the line, if we can all set aside a time and if I can figure out how to do it. I mean, I'm not terribly tech-savvy. I'm happy that I can just upload this bits of audio, so we'll see. Maybe we can figure something out. If anybody has any information on how one would do that, especially one as uh, dense and uh, illiterate technologically as me, (laughs) I would uh, very much appreciate it. So uh, I think that's where we'll leave it here. Thanks again to Jesse for sending in that list. But uh, if anybody would like to get a hold of me, you could do so a couple different ways. You can reach me on Twitter at Ace Comics or WeirdComicsHistory at gmail.com. You can find blog posts and show notes at Chris'sOnInfiniteEarths.com. There's also our Xlapsed page, xlapsed.chris'sOnInfiniteEarths.com. You can talk with us about all sorts of stuff at 90s X Men on Facebook, and you can listen to a whole lot of stuff with my voice on it at chrisandreggie.podbean.com. But that is where we will leave it today. Next stop for us is Empire, for better or for worse. So buckle up, and we'll see how that goes. Uh, so One more giant thank you to everyone for hanging out today and sharing your time with me. And as always, I will uh, talk to you again real soon. See ya.